This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to another episode of Double Tap. It is the Double Tap Express for Saturday, the 28th of October, 2023. Today, it's all about a new PC and a new Soundscape app. You're listening to Double Tap Express, your weekly roundup of what's happening on Double Tap this week. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Hey, Sean Priest, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Stephen Scott. I know we are very short of time because the show is jam-packed. It is, and do you know what? I think we should dive right in with the news because there's a lot of news this week. Let's get right to it. Grace Scofield is here. Thanks, guys. Let's start with the news that everybody is talking about in the tech world. Just in time for Halloween, Apple has announced a surprise special event this coming Monday called Scary Fast, potentially showing off new Macs. There's a lot of rumors about what will be shown off, possibly a new iMac and new MacBook Pros featuring their latest M3 silicon chips. What we do know is that there is a significant shortage of MacBooks available from Apple to order, which usually suggests a replacement is coming soon. This event is going to take place online only and starts at 5pm Pacific, which is 8pm Eastern and 1am in the UK, a late night for the double tappers. It seems that there are more and more stories of airlines losing or breaking disabled people's wheelchairs in the news these days. The most recent example of this concerns Stephanie Cadieu, who incidentally is Canada's first chief accessibility officer. She messaged her followers on X that after arriving in Vancouver, she was informed that her chair had been lost. Speaking on Access Tech Live before the incident, Stephanie explained that this was not an uncommon experience. In air travel generally for people with disabilities, there are some, there are some big challenges. There is a long way to go. Um, and, and governments, uh, and, uh, government, our government, uh, other governments, the United States government is recognizing that and taking steps there. There has been a lot of work done up until now, and there's a lot of work going on in the background, uh, by the airlines themselves, um, by the industry more broadly, um, and, and by the regulators, it won't be fast. Uh, unfortunately, uh, as as much as we want it to be, uh, as much as it should have been already done, it will take time. Stephanie has declined any further interviews with media at this stage, but has issued the following statement in response to the incident, as read here by Double Tap's Laura Kirker. On Friday, October 20th, 2023, I landed in Vancouver following a flight from Toronto to find out that my wheelchair had been left behind. This was immensely frustrating and dehumanising, and I was furious. I tweeted about it from my personal account, as many do when they have such experiences. Since then, I've received an overwhelming response. The tweet has been widely viewed and shared. Air Canada responded, and my chair has been returned to me. I've received requests from media to discuss the situation. While I'm glad I've been able to draw attention to this issue, I don't want the continued focus to be on my experience – not surprising to me, many of the responses to my tweet were from people sharing that the same thing had happened to them, with no quick resolution. My job title as Chief Accessibility Officer should not influence the experience I have when I fly. Every person with a disability who entrusts their wheelchair to an airline should expect and be granted the same service. We are all customers. 
I want everyone to understand that when a person's wheelchair is lost, so is their independence, safety, mobility and dignity. Yet airlines do not treat these pieces of medical equipment as the essential extensions of individuals' bodies that they are. The appropriate care and attention is not given, and the result is situations like the one that happened to me on Friday. As it stands, the consequences for this neglect by the airlines are only felt by the person with the disability, who must fight to hold the airline accountable, often with little or no success. Airlines have to take responsibility, and they have to do better. I've been thinking and speaking about this topic a lot lately. Earlier this month, I attended All Wheels Up, a conference in Washington, D.C., bringing together advocates for accessible air travel. Later this week, I'm heading to Chicago to attend an International Air Transport Association, IATA, conference and will be delivering a keynote address on this subject. This is an important topic and it bears a lot more discussion, but urgent corrective action is also needed. I travel a lot for my work and while my wheelchair has been damaged a number of times over the past year alone, this is the first time it didn't arrive at all. Rightfully, people express their dismay and outrage. Unfortunately, for people with disabilities, this wasn't a big surprise. I've heard and continue to hear countless stories about lost or severely damaged chairs and enough is enough. This experience was a visceral reminder of why I do the work I do, why so many advocates are working so hard for change and why it matters so much. I'll continue to have conversations with the airlines and the air travel sector, and I will continue to push for accessible air travel solutions for everyone. It needs to change now. On World Sight Day on October 12th, the World Health Organization unveiled the Who Eyes app. Its purpose is to tackle global vision impairment affecting 2.2 billion individuals. This free app facilitates vision assessment for near and distance viewing, aiming to identify issues early, thus promoting proactive eye care. Who Eyes is available in six United Nations languages on both Android and iOS platforms. A new online course is now available for web designers and developers who want to start creating accessible websites and applications. Award-winning UI design engineer Sarah Suedan has created the learning tool called Practical Accessibility. Over the years, Sarah has received rave reviews from developers at companies such as Uber, Comcast, Cisco, Microsoft, and many more. She explains on her website what developers can learn. If you're a design engineer or a designer who works with engineers and who maybe knows some HTML and CSS, a front-end developer, a JavaScript developer, or a back-end developer who struggles with getting accessibility right, then this course is for you. And finally, we have reported here on Double Tap this year that Sony has unveiled an accessible controller for its PlayStation 5, aimed at gamers with disabilities. The controller features customizable buttons and a control stick for enhanced comfort. The controller can be used independently or with other devices and is designed to sit on flat surfaces like wheelchair trays, facilitating longer, more comfortable gaming experiences for individuals with disabilities. An accessory kit by Logitech G, launching in January, will provide additional customization options. Pre-orders are now open, with the controller priced at $89.99, and it's set for general release on December 6th. Grant Stoner is the disabled journalist who broke the story to the world earlier this year. He told Double Tap how he learned about the story. PlayStation reached out to me 
John offered me an exclusive interview for Wire magazine with the president and CEO Jim Ryan. All for the device, we spoke about PlayStation's mission for accessibility, how this controller further enhances that mission, and PlayStation's awareness of the need for this device. Because um, they were perfectly aware that disabled people have been asking for this for years, but because devices take a while to make and produce, they just couldn't say anything until the right time. That's the Double Tap News for this week. I'm Grace Scofield. Thank you, Grace. Lots of tech news there. And of course, we'll be looking at some of those and talking about some of those next week. One previous story that we did talk about was upgrading your computer. Negative Julian has been in touch to tell us what he's been doing. Hello, everyone. I was just listening to the podcast re-upgrading or replacing a PC. And purely by chance, I think I've got something to share there as I have recent experience. Just a couple of months ago, I took it into my head to replace my existing desktop PC. I still feel a little bit guilty about it because there was nothing really wrong with the one I already had other than it could not be upgraded past Windows 10 and I fancied having a go with Windows 11. I had a browse around. I was always going to go second hand, never any possibility of going new. And what I've ended up with is a refurbished Dell 5040 small form factor desktop PC. It's got an Intel i7, I think it's sixth generation. It's got a 512 gigabyte SSD hard drive, 16 gigabytes of RAM. The monitor inputs are HDMI and DVI. And uh, it's well provided with USB USB ports. There's six Type 3 USB ports and four Type 2 USB ports, so 10 in total. Um, Quite a surprise to me, this particular unit had a couple of legacy PS2 sockets in it. One for mouse, one for keyboard. Uh, That was a shocker because... I was quite convinced that that particular port was well and truly extinct, but it's got them. And what else have we got there? Oh, uh, all the normal things with the sound inputs and so on. And round the front, um, very convenient for me, it's still got a, a CD DVD drive. Very handy because I still do like to rip the occasional cd into an accessible format that i can store away for my personal use so it's very handy having that there and uh, that's pretty much sums up the specifications i've been using it for a little while now and everything seems to be working absolutely fine quite speedy it might perhaps be under specified for people like yourselves who are doing a lot of audio file work but for my much more basic requirements, more than sufficient. And what did this cost me? Well, including delivery, the whole lot was 182 good old British pounds. 
which to me seems like a bargain. Um, it arrived very well packaged, professionally packaged. By chance, I had a sighted relative in the house when it arrived, so they had a look at it for me, and they say it was spotlessly clean. They couldn't see even a scratch on the casing. And being a thorough type, I then took the side panel off and invited them to have a look inside, and they said it was every bit as neat and clean inside as outside. So a properly done refurbished job. And as I say, £182 for that, I think, is a bargain. So that was just my experience of what you can get if you shop around a bit and you go refurbished. Um, only other thing, as a sidebar, if you've got time to listen, um, I just mentioned that in the episode you did say that one of the best upgrades you could do for a PC with an old mechanical hard drive was to replace it with an SSD. 100% agree. I've done that myself with an old laptop and an old desktop. Brilliant increase in performance. But what you didn't say was then what to do with the old hard drive. And I just say that if you took it out of a laptop or even a reasonably modern desktop system, there's a very good chance that what you've got is a two and a half inch SATA drive. And it's a shame to waste it. Why, why just bung it in the back of a drawer? What you need to do, just uh, get for yourself, spend six, seven pounds on an external hard drive case. Slot that old mechanical drive in there, which is really, really easy to do. And voila, you've got a perfectly usable high-speed external drive. Um, excellent for just backing up uh, any file that you know you're going to want to keep for quite a while. Your music files, your My Documents, um, scans of your insurance policies, letters from the doctor, all that sort of thing. And yes, I know that you can put them all in the cloud and that's a modern thing to do and all that. But um, isn't it reassuring with important documents to know you've also got another copy there at hand in your room um so if the internet goes completely belly up there it is you've still got it so just a thought and you can do it all for pocket money so waste not want not uh, i think that'll do for now uh so i'll say bye for now negative julian bye Thanks, Julian. Well, I don't even know where to start on that one, Sean. Maybe maybe we should say <laughs> refer back to our episode this week because we did talk a lot about that here on yes. the show this week. Uh, stick around. Up next, we're going to learn all about the Sunscape community app uh, from two people who are involved in its rebirth and someone who actually created the Microsoft Soundscape app in the first place. That next on Double Tap Express. This is Double Tap from AMI-audio. Email us, feedback at doubletaponair.com. Call us, 877-803-4567. And find us on social media, on Twitter and Facebook at Double Tap On Air. And now on Mastodon at Double Tap. Now, we've talked a lot about Soundscape, the uh, app for navigation and orientation. And it's, of course, it's great for uh, learning your routes. Uh, but, of course, we were all saddened to learn at the tail end of last year that it was being sunsetted by Microsoft. However, 
Microsoft did open source the software, meaning it could come back. And uh, this week on Double Tap, we caught up with the co-founder of the original Microsoft Soundscape, John L. Chudge, who joined us, along with David Redmond and Aifa Buckley from the NCBI, the National Council for the Blind in Ireland, to talk all about the new Soundscape community app that they have helped develop. But I started by asking Jarnail how the whole project got started in the first place. I guess the work itself started here in the UK back in probably 2011 or so, when myself, um, Amos Miller, I guess co-founder, uh, was a trustee of the Guide Dogs organization. And uh, at the time, they were thinking about how they could use technology to uh, better serve their uh, Customers, their uh, their members, and the and the broader community. So we he made some introductions, and given my background in design and so on, Amos particularly felt that taking a more design centric view to thinking about or framing uh, the challenges and the opportunities that they had would be would be really interesting. And um, following that, we actually ran a workshop uh, whilst at Microsoft in 2011. And during that workshop, I think we had about 15, 20 managers from across the guide dogs business, but we didn't talk about technology until uh, the last couple of hours of the second day. But we spent the majority of the time talking about the stories that guide dogs wanted to be able to tell in terms of the impact that they were having as an organization. And one of the themes that came out of that was around mobility and independence. And uh, yeah, cutting a, a long story sort of massively short, we then in 20. 12, we were able to put together a small team of uh, myself, a couple of sort of colleagues in the consulting part of the uh, Microsoft business, and a group of interns. And essentially, what we and, and working very closely with Guide Dogs, uh, and what we sought to do through that uh, funding that we received was to produce a vision video that would kind of look five, seven years out into the uh, the future. So not 10, 20, 30 years where it's sort of you know science fictiony, but um, at a more uh, at a time frame that was sort of easier to uh, to relate to, and of course we were then looking at near term technologies or technologies that was just on the horizon, and during this process of working very closely with the blind and low vision community, we spent a lot of time with mobility instructors, of course a lot of people uh, uh, a lot of time with people who were blind, and uh, I guess from a design and research point of view. Going out with them uh, when they were, uh, you know, going to the bus stop or going to the uh, going to the shops or meeting up uh, with a uh, with a friend, always accompanied by a mobility instructor. But it gave us the opportunity to ask questions right at the point of experience. And it was during one of these uh, research visits uh, where there were a group of us that we uh, came across a small fountain in a courtyard in central London. And reflecting on this uh, a couple of days afterwards, both myself and Amos uh, recalled that the sound of the fountain, regardless of whether it was coming ahead of us or behind or to the side of us, based on where that sound was coming from, we always knew where we were in relation to it. And that's why we started to really think about using sound as a way of allowing us to have greater awareness of where we are and what's around us. And because it's something that we process so naturally and intuitively, you know, we can have a conversation with the person that we're with while still being able to pay attention to the sound, the uh, the outside world. That's what really made us double down on, uh, on using sound. Of course, we thought about computer or machine vision. 
And I guess one of the reasons that uh, we didn't go down that particular route was I think there were some technologies out at the time that hadn't gone down particularly well in terms of uh, your privacy and, uh, and so on. Uh, and yeah, uh, in that video, we then presented, I guess, 3D spatial audio as a way of having the central character, Bill, who was blind and actually played by a blind uh, actor, uh, undergoing a uh, series of uh, experiences on a typical day out uh, with his family and uh, how sound really helped him stay on top of what was going on, deal with challenges, issues, but also learn and discover more about the uh, the space that he was with. In addition to that vision video, we actually produced a, a really hacky prototype where we had this big game of headsets. We put some sensors on top that allowed us to determine which way a person was facing. Those sensors were then attached to a small printed circuit board that we put inside a Cadbury's biscuit tin, which was then tethered to another person holding a laptop. And But essentially, it allowed us to sort of create this little uh, virtual soundscape uh, around a person. And uh, uh, we then we're very fortunate that internally within Microsoft, this work got picked up by the uh, accessibility uh, employee resource group. And before we knew it, uh, we were presenting to the uh, the most senior people in Microsoft and managed to convince them to uh, fund us. And I, one of the reasons I think they were really motivated to do this was that, A, we were consultants working in the field with real people looking at uh, real-world challenges and it, this, this, this wasn't you know, product development for the sake of product uh, development, but this was a, uh, a, f a fresh environment, uh, a fresh perspective, and a new and different way of doing things inside Microsoft. And you remember this was around 2012, and the organization was really undergoing some pretty significant uh, change and transformation. And we were very lucky, I guess, from a timing point of view. And we then essentially got funding to do R&D in the wild here in the UK for a uh, for a couple of years. And Amos and I led that uh, program and worked very closely with Guide Dogs and RNIB and a whole host of uh, um, other organisations in retail, travel, transportation, local government, uh, entertainment, and so on. Okay, so let's take this story on to its new chapter, which is where we bring in David and Aoife. And this is really interesting because... NCBI gets involved in this open source project. Uh, David, perhaps start by telling us how this partnership got started. Yeah, so I guess from my point of view, um, my experience with Soundscape uh, up until very recently had always been as a user. Uh, I'm visually impaired myself and I, like many visually impaired people, I'd been using the Soundscape app uh, in its Microsoft iteration to uh you know, get to, like Jarnell said, a library, things like that. Um, and uh, infamously, the, the NCBI Christmas party, which one has to go to, you know? So <laughs> these little things. So uh, we got to those kind of things. And for that, Soundscape was very beneficial. But I remember um, just early December uh, last year, uh, Microsoft announced uh, that they were going to be sunsetting uh, the project. And my first impression on that is, okay, uh, because I'm in a content role, how are we going to cover this? And I remember at the time there were discussions about, uh, do we go forceful on Microsoft? What, you know, what's the position here? 
Um, but Chantelle and her team over in NCBI. So Chantelle uh, works for uh, Possibility Lab, which is uh, the kind of orientation and mobility kind of wing of NCBI, if you will. Um, so they reached out al- along with uh, NCBI Labs, our technology division, and uh, Jarnell uh was involved uh, and the whole team kind of came together then and uh, work began on Soundscape Community. Um, I remember then there was a a beta program for a while uh, which was public. That was the first time I got the uh, Soundscape Community app on my phone. I was able to play around with that and that was I think the first time because Voice Vista was out at this point. So this was the first time though that I got an impression of okay the old soundscape interface, which I personally am a fan of, that was the first time I got an impression that, okay, we're going to be fine. And my kind of thing around that point was, okay, when's this going to be out? Because at the time, I think Microsoft had set a, a date of, I think it was the end of June at this point, that they were going to shut it down. That was later extended to the end of August. But I just remember thinking, okay, let's get this thing out there now. But as far as all that goes, that was a project for uh, Jarnell and his team. And uh, they did it, which is brilliant. They got it out. And uh, now I've been able to use the Soundscape community app in place of the old Microsoft Soundscape app, uh, which, yeah, has been fantastic. Um, And great to have options too, whether that be, you know, Voice Vista or... Uh, more recently, the the project from the Scottish Tech Army. I mean, yes, I work for NCBI, but for me, I just want the best Soundscape experience. I'm a user at the end of the day, so I just want the best experience. And I've really enjoyed having options in that regard again. So it's been brilliant for me, from my point of view anyway. I totally agree. Yeah, absolutely. The more, the better. Um, Aoife, if I could just bring you in and ask, as your role as an O&M instructor, what what benefits did you see personally from Soundscape? Um, well, as Janelle mentioned about fountains, um, that's really interesting because uh, that is actually a basic method of training that we would use to, to work with somebody who is learning um, orientation and mobility skills. Um, so somebody would learn the direction that the the sound of the fountain is coming from, they would change their body position. Obviously, the the direction of the fountain would appear to come from a a different direction. Um, So that is a a fundamental orientation skill. Um, And that is why Soundscape is so useful in people learning their way around or people finding their way around um, both new areas and familiar areas using the direction of the sound in the same way as we all use the direction of sound to to find our way around any location. Uh, When you hear the road is on your left-hand side, um, it's because the the noise is coming in through your left ear. If you're walking down the street and you're you're not using vision to learn what's around you, the, the marker coming in your left ear might be the post office. So you know then that the post office is on your left-hand side. Um, so that's really the, the the basic reason why Soundscape is so interesting to me as a as an instructor. Did you get any feedback when the announcement was made that Soundscape was 
well, maybe going away. We we got a lot of feedback and, and people were very worried about, you know, the, the, the loss of that soundscape um, that they had. Did you get any feedback from any of your clients or, or customers? We, we did. Um, we have service users who were very disappointed to hear. They were worried. Um, they a, a lot of people had got very accustomed to depending on soundscape as uh because it's so unintrusive um you can just have it on in the background as you're walking down the street um so people became very used to having it as a as a layer for of confidence really um and when they heard that it was going to be off the shelf um it there was a lot of concern around that's a great phrase by the way a layer of confidence i really like that it's it's absolutely true I can also, if I may, I can add to that as well, because we were uh, doing a lot of the content around that uh, when that announcement was made. So from our point of view, we saw a lot of that reaction immediately when we started publishing, say, newsletter articles and podcasts. We saw the questions come in straight away. And we also operate a help desk here in NCBI for technology queries. And when those announcements were made, that was insane. Like, I've never seen anything like it. And there was a lot of, there was a lot of upset there because I think the app was removed from the app store quite quickly. And there was a period there where people weren't able to get access to Soundscape uh, if they didn't have it already. And there was a lot of confusion around what's going to happen. When are we going to have Soundscape around again? Is there going to be another Soundscape? Is there someone working on this? And those were all questions that we were being asked. And at the time, we could only speculate, really. Uh, We kind of had to wait and see what came of it. And thankfully, the outcome was good. But I don't think that was, at that time, Christmas 2022, I don't think that was by any stretch that was by no means a guarantee and that was a very uncertain time i think for a lot of users of the app and i think we certainly felt that within ncbi and yeah it was quite an interesting time to watch the reaction and also how reliant in some respects the community had become on such a a, a great tool so yeah it was an interesting time for sure now You've all been talking about the the value of having multiple versions of Soundscape out there. I am not on board with this, right? I have to say, I think there should be one Soundscape, not Soundscape Community, Soundscape Scotland or whatever it's called, and Voice Vista. You know, I don't want all this. I want you guys to work together. So is that something you're thinking about? Is that something you're conscious of? Are you worried about that? Well, first of all... uh I completely agree. Uh, one of the things that really motivated us once we learned about OpenScape was to, uh, to almost sort of yeah, avoid that multiplication of apps, and because that's only going to be uh, confusing for the uh, for the end user. It's only going to uh, add to um, kind of you know, wastage, and uh, in many ways, make it much more difficult to. Over the longer term to be sustainable. So at one level, while it's really good and really heartening to see, obviously ourselves, Soundscape community, 
Voice Vista, the work that Scottish Tech Army have done, because it shows that there is uh, interest, willingness, motivation to actually work on this technology to, to, to get it out there. But ideally, absolutely, it would be amazing to be able to pool all of these different uh, initiatives under one umbrella and find a way of uh, optimizing the work, because ultimately it's the uh, end user that's going to uh, benefit from this. So I know when you had uh, Kirsty from the Scottish Tech Army on your uh, podcast a couple of weeks ago, it was really, really heartening to hear her talk about uh, collaborating uh, uh, with uh, with others. And uh, I'm certainly hoping now that once uh, this gets out there that we'll have the opportunity to uh, make that outreach and uh, look at ways that we can collaborate. Don't get me wrong. I love the fact that everyone is innovating on this. And it's why I've said for months now, I think we'll be thanking Microsoft at some point for the decision to go open source. Now, John, you might feel differently about that. Yes. Um, but <laughs> I do think that a lot of people will say that from the perspective of, thank goodness the project was allowed to continue, that your work did not go down the drain, that it can be realised. But I do think there's a question about long-term sustainability of a number of different apps. But actually, Kirsty's point from Scottish Tech Army, when she came onto Double Tap, she said that the reason they had done this was because of sustainability. And that was one of the, the key pillars for them creating this app was that they wanted it to be sustainable and they're working with various partners to achieve that. Uh, David, from NCBI's perspective, what are you guys doing? Are you guys working on that same model of sustainability long-term with partners? Is that how you're looking at this as well? Well, Jarnell can probably speak to this better, but I think it's a case of there's so many partners involved from uh, NCBI, yes, but we, we've also got a number of different partners involved. And I think the thinking behind that was always that if for whatever reason, you know, changes occur at one of those uh, points, whether that be NCBI, whether it be any other group within that consortium, that the Soundscape app will be able to sustain itself so in a similar way to uh you know what what kirsty said from from scottish tech army the soundscape community app has been built on sustainability because we can't i don't think it's actually realistic that we can't afford to go through that process again where we had soundscape in the hands of one organization um and then that relationship between Soundscape and Microsoft fell apart, at least with something like Soundscape Community. Um, and while the NCBI, I know for one, is highly committed to this, but it's also been built on that point of sustainability that if partners did, for whatever reason, pull out of the project, the whole project doesn't sink. The, the, the whole ship just doesn't go down with one partner. So I think it has been built on sustainability, but I think Jarnell can comment more on that than I, I can. I, 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 no, I completely agree that sustainability is absolutely fundamental to the approach of putting this consortium together. And I think what it means is that uh, we are then no longer subject to you know, the whims of an individual or of a particular business because through this collaboration, through this consortium, we've got resilience built into the uh, 
uh, yeah, built into the uh, the product into the uh, into the group, and uh, finding a way in which to make ourselves more resilient, more self sustaining. That also gives us the platform or the foundation on which we can continue to innovate. Is ultimately what we're trying to do with uh, with Soundscape, uh, with the Soundscape community. Yeah, absolutely. It seems I'm 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 hearing a lot of parallels between you and what Kirsty was saying from the Scottish Tech Army. I mean, yeah, sustainability and and partners and working with people. So it does seem that you're very much aligned. So it it, it does seem to make sense that there was some sort of um, cooperation there. That sounds fantastic. For me, it, it's about how we're going to see this app evolve because, Jarnell, thanks to the work that you did, the foundation is absolutely amazing. The concept has been proven and, you know, the uptake and the the... I used the word fear when Soundscape was was announced that it was disappearing. Um, there was a fear out there. I don't think that's too... That's uh, a great word for it. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. not too strong a word to use. I, you know, it, it's something that people really did did love. And, uh, well, do love, sorry. Um, so I, I think, yeah, that there is something out there that... that, that this should should never go away again. But I, I want to see where we go next. I want to see those features come in. The, the Voice Vista, the developer behind Voice Vista, has been doing some really interesting stuff with his version. Um, as far as I know, I think he's just a standalone developer. A lone wolf, I believe he's been called. He's doing some amazing work there. I'm really interested. And as, as a separate, you know, as three separate versions go along. Um, I think it's great that, that, that people st- stood up and actually got this thing up and running again. And I think that's absolutely why we're seeing three different versions at the moment. But in the future, the, the, the coming together and seeing, okay, what other features do people actually want? I'm really interested in that uh, prescriptive description <laughs> you were talking about earlier, Janelle. I would love that ability as well to have, uh, you know, a uh, 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 turn by turn, almost built in there as well as a, as another option. Um, but there's so many features that I think Soundscape could shine on that that cooperation would be so hang, right. Hang, hang on, hang on. I, sorry, I have to jump in and ask this question. And if if this is the case, if the app is so popular and everyone loves it, and we do, we all as a community seem to just based on the reaction you guys have got at NCBI, the reaction, the, uh, reaction we got here at Double Tap and uh, and other shows and other places and online. Why don't we just set a subscription on it and let the community take charge? So I guess from my point of view, uh, when we talk about uh, sustainability, because we've only released the app uh, just a couple of months ago at the end of uh, August, we're still very much in the process of of learning. And uh, maybe one of the things that hopefully will come through the the podcast here is – you'll almost be acting as a matchmaking or an introductory uh, service to uh, uh, work that <laughs> oh, we're doing again. to Voice Minister and, <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the Scottish Tech Army. But here's the thing, John L, right? And, and this is the point for me, I think, is that I think some kind of a version of this that comes out in the future could be twofold, right? So you've got that capability to work with partners so that not one individual organization runs. I'm totally with you on that, 100% on that. But I think that also for its continued development, what we have seen time and time and time again are developers who create apps for our community who will sell them at a decent price and then suddenly realize there's no money coming in and they cannot continue to develop. And obviously that's a bit different if you've got lots of organizations involved 
But I think we as a community can contribute to that. And I think it would then allow it to grow even more. That's that's my take on it. I'm not well, saying why we should. Why couldn't a donation want... model work in yeah, the same even that. respect? Yeah. But yeah. I think as far as I know, and correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, Jarnell, but I think there is a donation model yeah. available for a Soundscape so community. We, we do on our website have a donation button and invite, of course, people to uh, donate. It all helps with the upkeep and... Uh, and, uh, and and paying costs and so on. Well, see, I like I that. Things... I like that because then it's it's a case of you can contribute if you can. That's Absolutely. even better, Absolutely. actually. But yeah. at the same time, I guess given the uh, expertise and experience of the different organisations in Arkansas, for example, one of the things that we're looking at is exploring a number of different sort of business models that will allow this to be um, self-sustaining. And uh, to a point where it's actually generating revenue that allows us to uh, mm. not just invite contributions to the uh, from the open source community, but to recognise those uh, uh, contributions in in some way or other. Because um, at the moment uh, we've got great support and great investment from all the different partners involved, but what we don't want to do is to count on that continuing forever. So looking at different ways in which we can fund or generate revenue is absolutely uh, key to uh, the approach that we're taking. Now, whether that's looking at subscriptions or looking at freemium or looking at um, organizations that are willing to pay for audio augmented experiences, there's a whole gamut of different uh, uh, areas that we're uh, currently looking at and uh, will sort of trial in the, uh, the coming months. But the goal is, yeah, absolutely, to make this uh, sustainable, to make it uh, something that invites and and actually grows the contribution within the open source community, but also extends our reach of partners, ultimately helping us to get this to more people and on all the, the key platforms, key mobile devices that people use. And well, that's an excellent point you bring up. Uh, Android. I knew you were going to say that, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's a fair point, right? It's a yeah. very, very yeah. popular. A lot of people use Android, mm-hmm. and um, currently it's not available. Is is that changing anytime soon? Well, it's certainly something that if we're successful in the approach that we're uh, taking, we uh, know that needs to be uh, addressed. What is the, the reason why it's it's not an easy matter as someone who knows nothing about coding janelle <laughs> why is why is the android version uh have is there a technical reason why it's more difficult on an android os i mean i think one of the things that we did while we were at microsoft uh, initially focusing on um, ios and, uh, and apple devices was certainly within where the team was based the uk and the us the majority of people in the blind low vision community used iphones and because this was such new and novel technology, we really wanted to test and validate uh, that what we were working on, the experiences, etc., were making a real difference, were adding value to a uh, to a person. And I think up until the point that um, Microsoft took the decision to uh, sunset the product, I think we'd arrived at a version of Soundscape that was pretty well contained in terms of the capabilities it provided and the experiences it enabled people to have. So then you naturally start thinking about, okay, well, how do we then make this available to, to more people uh, across more platforms around the uh, the entire world? 
Yeah, and Aoife, from from your point of view, I'm intrigued to know uh, what you think about all of this from an organisation point of view, right? Because this must be great to to have the organisation's name next to such an app that is so well-respected in the community. Yeah, it's fantastic. It was um, Chantelle, really, who um, was the original uh, member of the, the Soundscape community from the Possibility Lab within the NCBI um, I think she was instrumental in actually bringing it to Ireland in the first place. Um, so it, it's it's tremendous that we can work with our service users, listen to our service users, um, and bring it back to if there's any suggestions for any improvements, developments, anything. You know, we're right in the centre to to push things on. Really, it's a fantastic opportunity. Yeah, I just want to go back to that point earlier that you talked about with orientation and mobility, because that intrigues me. I, I didn't give that much thought that because I suppose I'm I'm trying to think the last time I had orientation and mobility training. Goodness, it was, uh, yeah, that long ago. Um, but, you know, it was so long ago that I don't think phones were invented. And I mean, even the landline. So, you know, <laughs> I I didn't have any technology. I think the liquid level indicator was the absolute height of technological innovation at that time. Right. Uh, and so, you know, the idea of my orientation and mobility specialist taking me out there and, you know, actually using these devices is new to me. But that, of course, is such a big part. And I guess it's not just about the app itself, but the fact that you're able to showcase this app to to customers and, and service users as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, we would work with people when they have developed their mobility skills to a level where they would be safe um, to get around and about independently anyway. Um, so I suppose they can get around anyway, and this is to help them to get about anyway, you know, so mm. they... It just gives that layer of independence um, that people know where they are without needing to continually use physical landmarks as they're walking down the street. Um, the location and direction of markers are called out as they're walking. The intersections are called out as they're walking, whether they're on the left-hand side, right-hand side, or whatever is straight ahead. Um, the fact that routes can be shared from person to person. So, um, you know, if, if I'm training with somebody and I want them to walk from the bus station to the train station, I can lay down um, a number of markers in between the two and they can, like breadcrumbs, can follow um, the markers. Um, it, it's just a, a fantastic way to, to continue training somebody who has the mobility skills um, but may need for some reason to learn a new route. Um, so I, I wouldn't necessarily have to be there with them because I, I'm confident in the skills that they would have already, um, but can just help them with the development of the route. Um, the technology in headphones as well has to be mentioned that it's the, the advances that have been made are amazing. So headphones can be safe to use by somebody who would be also using other uh, sounds that are coming in from the environment. They can they can be used at the same time without interrupting those sounds that are coming in. Um, and because Soundscape is, runs so much in the background, um, you can use it while you're having a conversation with your friend. It doesn't interrupt that if you're walking alongside somebody. Um, you can use it while listening to music and still have your directions going, not being interrupted by turn by turn directions um headphones now can uh, detect if there is loud noise in the background and it, you can choose whether your headphone sound goes up or down when that noise is happening so if you're in a 
a loud traffic environment, for, for example, um, you can tell your your head. You can have told your headphones to turn down so you can hear the the ambient noise more easily. Um, and even conversations. If you start a conversation with somebody, if you do need to ask directions, um, the headphones can automatically be turned down when you start a conversation. So the the it's amazing how safe it can be when you find the right pair of headphones to use them, not blocking out any other sounds that would be used for safety, but also not isolating you from society as you walk. There is one question I want to ask you, John Neil, and, you know, you don't have to answer it, but I want to ask it to you. What happened at Microsoft that that led to the Soundscape app being turned into an open source project? Was that always the plan or was that just dropped on you from a great height? Uh, Yeah, Microsoft made the decision to sunset the uh, application and... uh, uh, released the code to uh, open source. And as a result of that, uh, myself and uh, Amos were both affected, um, given notice of uh, redundancy. So one of the things that uh, I've been doing since then, since leaving Microsoft in February this year, is working closely with a number of um, partners and collaborators that we developed really, really good relationships with uh, in my time at Microsoft uh, yeah prime among them being uh, NCBI, to uh, look at were we willing to come together and uh, find a way of uh, pooling our expertise, our resource, our experience to uh, try and get Soundscape up and uh, up and running again. And you know, thankfully, uh, you know, all the partners that I reached out to said yes. There was NCBI, there was uh, Kenya in France, Envibe, Onse in Spain, we had uh, in the US uh, Capital Region Nordic Alliance that we've been working really closely with. They focus on adaptive sports experiences. We worked with RPI, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, and their open source uh, program. And uh, Pixel Space, a uh, fantastic uh, design um, agency in uh, North America, who actually did a lot of the UX work on Soundscape uh, while we were at Microsoft. And um, a number of uh, former members of the the Soundscape team uh, as well, you know, very very generously uh, uh, devoting their time and experience to this too. Is this a bittersweet for you, Jonil, in a way because you're here, you're talking about this project, about almost a rebirth of this project, but you know you're not doing it at Microsoft. Is that is that bittersweet for you? It's uh, it's different, certainly, and uh, I guess. The way that I uh, look at it is that, of course, there's uh, there's sort of pros and cons. Uh, uh, and I think one of the uh, the great things about working in the open source uh, community is the opportunity it's given us to uh, uh, reach out, for example, as we did in the summer when we learned about the OpenScape uh, effort, to come together and pool our efforts. Up until then, we'd been working under the name of Soundscape for Everyone, and when we learned about OpenScape, we sort of reached out, got to uh, know each other, and then decided to uh, work more closely together. And we've got great uh, support there within the uh, open source uh, community, very, very talented uh, individuals who are devoting so much time and effort uh, into this that it's, uh, that it's absolutely uh, fantastic. And, of course, you know, building the, uh, the whole experience from the ground up in a way that uh, – allows us to uh, think about, well, what's going to be the most effective, most efficient, 
way of you know, implementing the back end, for example? How do you think about getting the word out into the uh, community? How do you leverage the network of all the different groups, partners, individuals and organizations uh, involved uh, and so on? So that collaborative spirit that we always had at, uh, at Microsoft in relation to Soundscape, uh, in many ways, uh, that's, we have far more freedom and flexibility to, uh, to work within the open source community in that regard. Again, huge Huge props to you. Um, Absolutely. Where are you now with this project? Looking you know, forward as opposed to where you were, looking from this point forward, what are your hopes and dreams for this app? Oh, gosh, that's a, uh, that's, that's a great question. I think, and, and I'm sure Aoife and, and David would echo this as well. Now that we've released it, of course, we want to spread the word. We want more people using it. We want to uh, add as much value to uh, the end user as possible. But given that we've only released it a couple of months ago, we're still very much in the learning phase. And I think what we really want to be able to do is to grow and scale. Now, whether that's obviously working through uh, um, some of the organizations that you've mentioned, Scottish Tech Army, Voice Vista, etc., but also more broadly across the community, we ultimately want to uh, grow the features, the capability, the value that it has for the end user so that uh, ultimately the impact that we know and that we see Soundscape having on people's lives is uh, available and accessible to uh, everyone everywhere. That's the uh, the ultimate uh, ambition. And to do so in a way that's uh, scalable and sustainable and recognizes the um, contribution of individuals and organizations in that very community-driven way, uh, I think from a values point of view is, 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 is really important too. It's great what Jarnell says. I guess I'm primarily a user of Soundscape, but what I've always loved about Soundscape is its versatility and that you can use it in so many different ways. Like I remember discussing with Aoife not that long ago, a way in which I would use Soundscape to know when to get off a bus. So I, I would set a marker and I, I you know, as the bus w- would come along, you know, I'd hear that that, uh, that marker would be uh, closer and closer to me. And then I'd know as that gets closer, I, I'd be u- able to use that as an indication of when to get off. And I think there's so many little things like that, that Soundscape just works brilliantly for. And I think that will only expand in the future. And that's one of the reasons I'm really excited about the future of Soundscape. From my perspective, I suppose, um, the use of Soundscape is really only limited by the imagination Um it's fantastic for open spaces, which, you know, would be very difficult uh, to navigate ordinarily. Um, so, you know, you can drop your your marker as a beacon in a particular part of an open, open space and you can wander and you can know where you are always in relation to that starting point. Um, I really like the use of it going for a walk on a beach, you know, so that you can walk and walk and walk on a, on a, an otherwise... Um, landmark free zone but always be able to come back off the beach at the exact point where you started which makes your your onward journey much easier then um people use it kayaking you know there's not many landmarks out there on the lake so it's fantastic to be able to use soundscape to know what direction you need to paddle in to get back to the key 
Um, so it really, it is just, um, and there's, there's an amazing number of uses for it, really. We just need to think about them. Yeah, we, we do have listeners in Canada who do exactly that, and I'm sure around the world as well, who absolutely love kayaking. I can think of one in particular who, who listens to it. And, <laughs> yes. uh, you know, again, this was exactly why he loved Soundscape, and, and that's it. Um, guys, I could talk to you all day. This is such an interesting conversation. You guys are amazing. And thank you so much for giving us your time here on Double Tap. Thank you for having us. Our pleasure. Really thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, so interesting to talk to those guys, Sean. We could obviously... Um, go into so much more conversation and I'm sure we will yes absolutely really interesting but that is it for this uh, week thank you so much for listening as always we will be back here on Double Tap on Monday so join us for that and of course next on the podcast if you listen that way we will catch you (laughs) then thank you Sean thank you bye bye Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.